Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Matt Ryan has addressed the Colts quarterback change. He has. The quote is, I'm personally disappointed, but I'm here for the team. Your thoughts? My interpretation of what Matt Ryan is saying is that I'm going to get paid regardless. <laughs> that's true. And I am not happy about the way the offense has been managed. That's Some of that's out of my control. Some of that is within my control. And there's nothing I can do about a team that is essentially tanking. Uh, and I haven't been that good either. So I'm going to sit here and shut my mouth and collect my paychecks and be a good teammate, which Matt Ryan has always been known to be. So does not... Look, it's not going to help him one bit if he goes on a crusade and talks bad about coaches or ownership or GM or whatever or his teammates. So he's taking the very sensible approach. But reading between those lines, he's essentially saying, you're still going to have to pay me, so do whatever you want. Well, he's come to terms too, Hut, I think, with with uh, what's been widely reported. And that's that's that there's not a chance for them to circle back to him because if he suffers the injury – that he's on the verge of suffering with that protection, it puts them at risk of having next to year. guarantee some money next year if he can't pass a physical in March. And they're not taking a risk that he can't pass a physical in March because they're moving on to something yeah. young and promising and they don't want to be on the hook for money. They, uh, they also, it's unfortunate for him. A lot of people are saying that the Colts are waving the white flag, they're tanking. I don't buy... I, to me, just surface level, they were doing... A great job of losing already, right? As it was, like if yeah, you want to continue no. to lose, just continue doing what they're doing. You actually look. I mean, I don't think the the replacement is a good player, but he is a mobile player, and mobility yeah. with the line struggles that they're having could produce some results. I did. I can't remember where I heard it. Uh, I wish I could give credit. Ellinger um, gave. They, they have the quarterback present. The represent the game plan on Friday, like okay, we've worked on this all week, and here's what it is. And um, I think it's Albert Breer, maybe. Yeah, I can't remember what the situation was that the starter was unavailable to do this. Wentz last year, I think, was was maybe out. Yeah, he was out with COVID. And Ellinger gave the game plan, and a coach who was in the room, I think, told Breer it was phenomenal the way he presented that. Now, we have a tendency to get super excited about stuff like that. Like, oh, it's got great meaning or whatever. Well, the kid could be smart and he could be a great public speaker and it could mean absolutely nothing about what his yep. understanding of the game plan translates to. But we also have a tendency. I, I mean, it's a, it's a reasonable tendency to want to grasp at anything exciting about your potential quarterback, right? And that's where the Colts are right now. They're grasping at something to be excited about, about the guy who's taking over. And we can allow them to be in that position right well, now. Well, let me, let me change the phrase tanking because I don't think what they're doing is tanking per se. They're but not wishing to Here's move. what they're doing. Uh, this is when the Titans went to Zach Mettenberger. You might as well see what you have. 
it doesn't matter. They are waving the white flag, I think. They're not saying we're going to go out there and try to lose. But what they're saying is, season feels like a bust. We know where we are. The Matt Ryan experiment, a bust. Let's not stress that. Let's not press Matt Ryan into action. Let's play the kid and see what he has. And then if it works out, great. We're not trying to lose. We're trying something different to see if we can change our fate. But if it doesn't work out, we're also not upset because we're going to end up getting a high draft pick. That's what they're doing. It's not outright tanking, but it's what else do you have to lose? It's similar to what we've been saying about Texas A&M in the college game. Play Wigman, the freshman, because what do you have to lose at this point? Let's see what you got, right? Let's stop playing where you're pressing and just go out there and play and see what happens. You're not really that upset at this point one way or the other. And you'll take what comes at you. Trade deadline coming up on Tuesday, and we've already seen some action. So Robert Quinn traded today again from Chicago to Philly. Christian McCaffrey's now in San Francisco. Robbie Anderson traded to Arizona. James Robinson is now the running back because of the injury to Brees Hall. He's been traded from Jacksonville to the Jets. And uh, Jonathan Hankins to Dallas, from the Raiders to Dallas for more defensive line depth. That happened yesterday. So already some movement and not just those. I mean, those guys are not backup pieces. Those are legitimate starters headed in to help some teams potentially continue their winning ways or continue to climb towards a playoff. All push. heading into good situations. Look, here's one I'd like to see. Um, if, if this trend continues, I'd like to see um, Kareem Hunt to the Bills. Right? He's, a, he's not McCaffrey, but he's probably the next best thing in a pass-catching, yeah. I mean, running back role. And he's they what were Isaiah in McKenzie was before they moved him receiver. Yeah. I'd like to see that move for the Bills. I, I, I mean, I w- I'm content with the Bills, but the fact that they were interested in McCaffrey tells me they'd like a little bit more there. And to yeah. me, that's a sensible move. So teams making moves because they're in playoff contention, there are others that we're moving to our list, our weekly list of GTFO for NFL teams. Um, here's my current list uh, as we go into week eight. I've already eliminated the Texans, the Jets, Raiders, Panthers, Broncos, and last week I added the Bears. I feel awful about the Jets in week two based on how they're playing because they continue to win. 4-0 with Zach Wilson, even though he has not been great. They've been running the football with Brees Hall. He's now injured. They trade for James Robinson. But with their current record and in five wins, they're in the thick of it. They, they can really make a move, not just within their division, but for a, a wild card spot. If I can move one out and replace them, I would take the Jets. I can't. I'm keeping them there. And this week, I'm adding the Washington Commanders. The Commanders are coming off of a win. Defensively, over the last three games, they're allowing just 18 points per game. Over the last three games, offensively, they're averaging 17 points per game. This is awful. They're down to Taylor Heineke. Um, They won this past week against Green Bay. Granted, they won. That's all that counts. But I'm eliminating them this week because Green Bay failed to convert on a single third down offensively. That's not going to happen moving forward with offenses they're going to face. And yes, I realize they faced the Colts this week. I'm selling the commanders. They should have been on my my list way before this. They're not making the postseason. Washington, GTFO. That's your best point. You could have put them on the list a long time ago. They could beat Green Bay. They could beat the Colts this week. They're not a playoff team. Isn't that weird? Uh, I mean, that's very much the fourth place. Isn't that weird team though? We're saying division. that after a win over Green Bay. Yeah. Oh, they, they can beat Green Bay and the Colts, <laughs> but you know, definitely not a playoff team. Wouldn't have thought we'd said that about uh, the Commanders yeah. at this point in the season. But they got three teams better than them in the division. 
So my list, and we all have our regrets on this list. Sure. Those, I don't. Those regrets, I don't have a those regret regrets on my will, list. will grow. Well, I say we all do, except for me, because I have no regrets right now <laughs> on this list. Week one, I put the Commanders out. I still like that pick, even though it's a great win for them yes. over the Packers. Texans look like the worst team in the league right now. They're vying possibly with the Panthers for that role. So that was my week two and three picks. The Colts feel great about that now, especially that they're going away from Matt Ryan to Sam Ellinger. Broncos, we all know my feelings about Nathaniel Hackett. He's one and done. Russell Wilson just looks bad mm-hmm. all of a sudden. That's a team that's not going anywhere. And he's playing again, Chad. So well, he's back. They're maybe. going somewhere. They're going to London this week where they're going to lose to the Jags. <laughs> uh, but that's where they're going. That's the only place they're going, though. They're going across the pond to lose a football game. Outside of that, the Broncos are going nowhere. They're not riding. The Broncos, Broncos country, not riding. And uh, last week I went with the Bears. Boys, it's weird to say, but I feel worse about the Bears on this list right now than any other team. <laughs> but that's to say I don't have something like Hutton's Jets, Jets pick that you feel really bad about right now. So I feel good about my list. This week I'm going to add another NFC North squad. The Detroit Lions are up next on my list. This is my favorite roster on the list. I like the talent in Detroit. They should be a lot better. But the problem is they're one in five right now. <laughs> and um, if I'm going to sit here and say, you know, I, I feel kind of bad about the, the Bears are two games clear of the Detroit Lions in the NFC North right now. So I can sit here and talk about how good the roster is and how they should be better. And I like the offense the first few weeks. Now the offense isn't any good to go along with the defense. That's been horrible from the start of the season, led by Aaron Glenn. The Lions make my list this week. They're out. They are GTFO of playoff contention, according to me. It's a good list. It's a strong, good, feel good about the list. list. Here is another good list. It's slightly better than your list. Panthers, week one. Commanders, we've covered this. Texans. Bears, that game the other day was still, uh, you know, a one-off. And they might play slightly better, but they're not anywhere near the playoffs. Steelers are terrible. The Broncos are terrible. And this week we'll add the Raiders, who are also going nowhere. But I like the Detroit pick a lot. Um, And I think you could probably consider them uh, my block for next week. So, um, Oak, uh, Oakland, I slipped. Las Vegas uh, is my addition this week. There they are. And uh, I feel very good about this seven-pack. I keep waiting for it to get harder um, and to have uh, a real tough choice, but hasn't hasn't come to that yet. The Raiders are on the road this week <clears throat> against the Saints and headed to uh, New Orleans there after – hosting the Texans a week ago. So I'm working on a column. and That's, I just, a, good, that's a good elimination game, by the way, for us uh, for next week. Yes. I the just, loser of that game. I'm, I'm eyeballing that one the way I eyeballed, was it Commanders, Bears, a couple weeks ago. I'm yep. thinking, all right, the loser of this is going on my I'm list next that. week. The loser of that one may be on my list. I'm working on a column uh, for which I just found this, which fascinates me. New Orleans is fourth in total offense. This is yardage, granted. 14th on defense. We all came into the season and said, the reason New Orleans has a chance at anything, and I mean, Peter King picked them to the Super Bowl. I didn't like them, but I thought they could be a problem for some people because they're a good defensive team. 
the offense maybe would come around with the you know the draft picks and the fill-ins and and stuff, but that quarterback was going to be a problem with with Winston and or Dalton. Dalton is the guy now. I never would have thought though that the offense would rank four uh, ten spots ahead of the defense. I'm yeah, really surprised. Their defense by that. is allowing six more points than they did per game last year. Yeah. That, that's know. a bad drop off and that's your defensive coordinator taking over as your head coach and that is yeah exactly and that is what peter king had to be banking on he was, was the saints were going to be if not the top defense the top defense in the nfc yeah, a, a team that would push people around yeah and they're, would, not, they're not doing that i'd love to ask peter king if he in all of his years of making super bowl picks if he's ever had a team in the super bowl that ended up with the number one overall pick because <laughs> <laughs> that could be where the saints are headed well, right I don't think now. they. I don't There's think they have a pick, traffic. though. I think they've traded. That's true. It. Well, Philly That's true. has it. Well, yeah. the worst record. Then just say you know ends up with the worst record in the league. Um, the, They're not that bad because here we are with happen. seven teams eliminated. None of us have uh, have eliminated the Saints yet. Top players so in the next batch from Week Seven uh, <coughs> available now. Outkick.com. I've got the NFL awards. Patrick Mahomes, simply because Josh Allen didn't play. Patrick Mahomes is the leader for the most valuable player this week. After what he posted after uh, the, the interception last week in San Francisco, he went on to score, lead scoring drive, six of the next seven possessions after the interception were Chiefs scores. And he's battling Josh Allen back and forth for the most valuable player right now. I still have Hurts in the mix there. He's coming off a bye week this week, and he's got the Steelers on Sunday, Jalen Hurts, and then two matchups, Thursday against the Texans, Texans, and then the Commanders. Wow. This should be a three-pack of games where Jalen Hurts lights up the stat sheet. Yeah. And he can climb and get into the discussion with Mahomes and with Allen. He's got, at the end of those three weeks, I bet you he is at the top of your list because those are some stat-padding games. But <laughs> I wonder what odds you could get Jalen Hurts <laughs> preseason on MVP I don't know about that that's a great question that's a great he's a great story Eagles are a great story but the fact that he's on your list Hutton and your column he's been there throughout think about the odds you could have gotten on that you know four months before the season started I'd like to parlay money line wins on or, or spread wins on all three of those games right now but that's the kind of place where uh a team slips and loses one that you just don't expect it's really hard to see them losing one of those three i've got justin jefferson as my offensive player of the year currently and this has been uh back and forth and the vikings have been quiet he is on he's not been quiet he is on pace for the fourth most receiving yards in nfl history for a single season i mean the hype about him has been quiet oh well yeah i mean they've he's been the only producer even in games they've lost you know there were two weeks ago they converted just two third downs in a game and lost on the road and I th- was it New Orleans or uh, Miami? So it's their lone loss. They're five they, and one. They uh, in that game they did nothing, and it was Justin Jefferson putting up a, a ton of numbers. Tyreek Hill, Stephon Diggs, they're also in the mix here. They're the top three receivers right now in the league, and they're vying for the offensive player of the year. Going back to Justin Jefferson, Hutton, he is so good that I start to hear arguments about Kirk Cousins not being any good. And he's only a byproduct of Justin Jefferson on his team. So you always get the thing about, hey, is the quarterback, is the receiver that good or they just have a great quarterback? It's flipped now to where people want to make the argument, Kirk Cousins is not good. He's just a byproduct of having Justin Jefferson on his roster. That's 
when you know you have a great receiver. I'm when curious, that argument is actually being made. I'm curious how Miami recovers. Obviously, they didn't score a lot of points. What was that, 16-10 game? Yes. Their, their bounce-back game uh, with Tua back in the lineup. I like Tyreek Hill the most of those three based on overall body of work, but is Miami's offense going to get back to more standard output? Because he still had output without Tua for two and a half games, but they lost all three of them. His pace was, was terrific. Slowed down a little bit with that 16-10 game. Sucks for Brees Hall because he was on pace yeah. to win uh, Offensive Rookie of the Year. He was excellent over the last three, four weeks especially, but very consistent for the Jets' run game. Uh, they were averaging over five and a half yards per carry whenever he was on the field, 3.4, I believe, 3.6 when he was off the field. A big drop-off from number one to the, the late 20s in the league. To me... Kenneth Walker III can now climb, and he is he's listed this week in the column. And Chris Olave from the Saints right now, I, I believe, is the best of what's been a very good rookie crop of receivers early in the first round and throughout. Um, some of the, the big producers, when they're on the field, have produced. Like Jahan Dotson, he's banged up. He's got a hamstring issue. But when he was early on in the season, he was – coming into his own. And Garrett Wilson, same way. When he's been healthy, he's been very good. Olave's been the most consistent. He came back from a, a concussion protocol. He's had five consecutive games with at least 50 or more receiving yards. What Did, does Andy Dalton do for him? That, that's the limitation on him to yeah, me. And that can hold him back. But no matter the quarterback here, even with Taysom Hill starting a game um, and, and finish, maybe finishing a game, he has been uh, consistent. He's been the one true threat Michael Thomas has been out they've had other receiver issues and injuries and Alave's been the go-to guy so um I just saw this come up on Twitter and it ties into what I was saying about Nathaniel Hackett in Denver uh, I don't follow George Carl the former Nuggets and longtime NBA coach on Twitter right but I was alerted to this because our buddy Dan Dockich retweeted George Carl George Carl just tweeted out right now I always support coaches and would rarely advocate for their firing. But Nathaniel Hackett needs to be done in Denver with the Broncos. The search needs to begin immediately for someone who can connect with Wilson and make him a good player again. Nathaniel doesn't appear to be that person. That from former Nuggets coach George Carl, Dan Dockich retweeted that and said simply, jackass to George Carl. <laughs> I agree with George Carl. I thought George Carl So Dan Carl probably was... thinks I'm a jackass too, but I think Nathaniel Hackett should be done. I don't think he should be fired right now, like George Carl is saying, but hey, if you know, you know. The biggest surprise here to me is that George Carl isn't dead. I thought he was dead. Wow. He had uh, I didn't know cancer. That. I remember he, he a Real Sports about his him. cancer treatment. Um, it says in his bio, uh, Hooper, UNC, ABA, coach, 1,999 NBA games. Why not go for the one more for 2,000? Uh, storyteller, truth, fire you. truth in media, Hall of Fame 22, still living in Denver. So I guess he's in media? There you go. Analyst. George Carl's done. Living in Denver, he's seen enough of Nathaniel Hackett. And someone responded and said, does, 71. Does, does Russell Wilson get any of the blame here? And he responded and said, the GM needs to go too. <laughs> Was his response. All right. Hey, George Carl. He's got an opinion. So uh, Brandon Cooks is not practicing non-injury designation in Houston. And chances are 
he he's been mentioned he's been traded a lot throughout his career it, in 2020 that was his sixth nfl season he'd already been traded three times he was traded he was dealt to new england um then he went to from the saints to new england to the rams and then traded again for the texans and he's been traded for first round picks the texans gave up a second round pick for him he's the uh, he's in a class of his own in terms of what he's been traded for and how often he's been traded throughout a number one threat wide receiver's career. I can't believe he's not been, uh, he's not amongst the league leaders in targets because they don't have much else down there. Uh, you know, unless you're thrown to a back a lot, they're not loaded at tight end. He, I drafted him every chance I had because I thought he'd be targeted like crazy. And he has not been Ryan Tannehill did not practice okay. today. Now, he said it was going to be a walkthrough. Vrabel didn't. But, I mean, if he didn't practice in a walkthrough, that, that's pretty meaningful. Jeffrey, what, Jeffrey Simmons what, uh, didn't either. I wonder what Cooks could get, for, uh, what the Texans could get here. They, right now, they've already got two top five picks based on where the Browns are selecting. In, two, in 2017, the Saints traded Cooks to New England in exchange for a first-round pick and something else. The Patriots then flipped him, traded him to the Rams for a first-round pick and, and something else. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's crazy. The Rams, they trade Cooks for a second-round pick uh, from the, the Texans. traded guy in NFL history? So no, Well, just for the high the value. value. Yeah. The three, value over Three over. trades, two first-round picks, and a second-round pick. Yeah, it's incredible. And I now think he's on the trade block be again. Down. How old is he, do we think? I think it's his eighth season. Yeah, I think it would be down now to uh, – Chad was asking earlier about Jerry Judy. I mean, Jerry Judy, I think, would be a third or a, maybe a conditional fourth. And Cooks, I think, around behind that. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I don't know. I mean, the Rams should be in the mix for him. They should. Honestly. If you're just thinking about what he's done right this season, he's got uh, he's averaging ten yards catch, twenty eight catches on the season and a touchdown. That's really blah. But yeah. I mean, he you have no doubt the guy would do better somewhere else if they if yes. they focused on him. Yes, unless, and Mills has unless not he's been ailing good. in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, he's uh, Mills has not been good delivering in football either. Run first, Texans loading up on as much inventory as possible for the draft. So again, non-injury designation for Brandon Cooks today in practice. They've Be got an the interesting, uh, interesting offseason ahead of them. Coming up, we get into college football. We discuss Tennessee and Kentucky, one of the top games in the SEC. And uh, the, the narrative that I, I think, the perceived notion that Kentucky is going to control time of possession with their run game. If you actually look at what Kentucky's done, it's hard to convince me that's going to happen at all Saturday. We'll we'll discuss. That's next on Outkick 360. Outkick 360 rolls on. We've got the cocktail party between Georgia and Florida this week, and also Tennessee and Kentucky with the black helmets on full display for the Vols. I like the black helmet look. I'm typically not a fan of 
traditional schools with traditional uniforms going non-traditional, but um, I like the the all-black look for Tennessee better than the smoky gray. I don't know if you guys agree or not. No, I like it. I think it looks better, too. It definitely looks better than the white helmet they had last year where it was kind of a little bit more rushed. The uniform looked good, but the white helmet, just the black outline, does not look as good as black head-to-toe with the orange power tee. I like it, but I agree with you about uh, – I don't think teams with uh, a lot of tradition should mess with their traditional looks. Well, this is also kind of a side insult to Kentucky fans because Kentucky sees Tennessee as one of their top rivals, if not the top, every year. And Danny White, Tennessee's AD, said, we will wear traditional uniforms, white pants, orange uniforms, for our traditional rivals and games of huge meaning. So then Tennessee's going to break out all black uniforms against Kentucky, which I'm sure they're taking. That's a little dangerous. I'm sure Mark Stoops is using that as motivation, that they don't think this is a big matchup. It's a little dangerous in the games of huge meaning if somehow they lose this weekend and get accused of looking past Kentucky, that'll come back. Yeah, someone would probably point that out, but I I understand what he's thinking. Yeah, no, I do too. Right? I thought it was weird that they wore smoky grays on the road at LSU, because it just looked weird on the road because LSU wears the white, but I understand that being a game you, you do it for, right? You don't do it. Alabama, but basically Florida. what he's saying is Florida, Georgia, Alabama. Those are the three games that you're going traditional. Doing some digging on some, some stats here, and that there is a perception that Kentucky's going to control time of possession with their run game, which has been good, but they not average great. about 35 minutes, right? So... Tennessee has rushed for 672 yards in their conference games this season. Kentucky has rushed for 538. Kentucky has played one more game than Tennessee. And again, it's Tennessee 672 to Kentucky's 538. Tennessee's passed for nearly 1,000 yards in that same time span of the, the conference games. Kentucky, 839 yards. Tennessee scored 43 points in those three conference games on average. Kentucky has averaged 21. I don't see where this is some matchup of time of possession versus Tennessee's offense. Tennessee, they rank 121st nationally in time of possession. And guess what? It doesn't matter. Kentucky can try to control the clock. The the difference is Kentucky defensively must be able to get multiple uh, stops. Tennessee's punted three times in three conference games. Which is just an insane stat. I don't understand those that are pushing this. Kentucky's run game is what's going to win this game. It's got to be Kentucky's defense, not Kentucky's run game. You can try to play keep away all you want to. fact of the matter is you're going to have to score more than 21 points in your conference matchups. They're not doing that. So I I don't see how the, the Kentucky team that we're watching is... Uh, a Kentucky team that competes against the Tennessee team that we've been watching. They've rushed. How does Kentucky line up and control the clock? They've rushed for 50 yards, 70 yards, 103 yards, 108 yards, 121 and 239. They beat Florida with 272 yards of total offense. That's not going to happen Saturday. You're going to have to put up more points. I keep hearing about how they gave Ole Miss a game, 328 yards of offense. Been playing bad football. Now they're they're good. I mean they're but they've been playing bad football. Tennessee has not been playing bad football. So if if Tennessee loses this game, it's because they have beat themselves. 
or had like a the worst performance since Josh Heupel's been the head coach. Those are the two ways that this offense doesn't do what they've always done. Time of possession is vastly overrated when you're playing a quick strike offense. If the it other, means if, nothing if you to win Tennessee. time of possession because the other team is scoring in 18 seconds and a minute 40 in 230, doesn't matter. Uh, the the points trump the time of possession stuff. And the other thing here for me is that Kentucky doesn't rush the passer particularly well. So if they're going to play well on defense, they're going to have to find a pass rush that hasn't been present. It's a really intriguing matchup in a number of ways. And I, those numbers are very interesting that you throw out there, Hutton. Kentucky's offense has not been good relative to the really good offenses in the SEC or right. across college football. So then you have to ask, is that kind of by design and that they're just trying to milk the clock for a great defense? Well, you look defensively, Kentucky versus Tennessee on defense, I mean, it is decimal point percentage difference in plays they allow, yards they allow per play. The defenses really aren't that different. Tennessee's defense has been better, I think, than people would give them credit for. Exactly. Now, they're in the 100s in pass defense. They're eighth in the nation in rush defense. So, you know, that's chicken and the egg also, right? People are going to throw it more because you're susceptible to pat and you're good against stopping the run. But they have stopped teams that can run the ball well. They've stopped them for the most part this season. Kentucky is a rushing attack. So the, the only way I see Kentucky winning this game for reasons as you brought up, but it's because Tennessee hasn't played the way they have all year. It's sort of the pit formula. Tennessee was pretty bad in that game, and they found a way to win on the road. They fell behind 10-0, and then it was almost 17-0. I think that it would take Kentucky going up two scores, not one, two scores in the first half, and trying to sit on it. It would take Tennessee stalling on drives. They had a problem in the second half at Pitt. They would move it and get it to about the 40, and a drive would stall out. And they were in no man's land. They'd have a fourth and eight and wouldn't get it. They, they had turnovers in the game. That's really Kentucky's route is just muddying the game up enough where they have a chance. Here's a stat from Cole Kubelik of SEC Network. Tennessee has scored 30-plus points in 10 straight games. Longest streak in program history. Kentucky has allowed 24 or fewer points in 11 straight games. Longest active streak in FBS. What he fails to tell you, though, is the last time they gave up more than 24 was against Tennessee. Yeah. And they gave up 45. And to your possessions point, Hutton, Tennessee had four offensive possessions the entire first half. And I believe they scored on every possession. Well, against Kentucky, even with only four. And that was Kentucky scoring also with long drives. That's how they limited possessions. But it didn't matter a year ago in Lexington when I thought Tennessee was worse, much worse than they are this year, and Kentucky was a little bit better than they are right now a year ago. Would you agree? Yes. With yeah. that assessment? Yes. And, and I w- so I, I think where we also, we like the conversation, not us, but just collective public, missed the mark on Tennessee is, I think the viewpoint is that their foundation's on the passing game, and that is blatantly false. Their foundation is in the run game, and they can beat you multiple ways. Um, and there are multiple stats you can go pull to, to find this. The big plays. They have 31 passing plays of 25 or more yards. 10 plays of 50-plus. Both of those, by the way, lead the country, uh, lead college football. The run game, though, against LSU, they ran the ball 49 times for 263 yards. Against Florida, they ran the ball 42 times 
for 227 yards. Against Alabama, they ran it 39 times for 182 yards. But if you want to shut down the run game, have at it because they're going to hit you for 25-plus, 50-plus. That's what makes this so different this year is they can they – can, you, you pick your poison. Kentucky's got a good – and they can shut down teams that run the football well, but can those teams also throw it? Can they sling it around the yard? Chances are not like this, not leading the country statistically, no. In all three of those games, though, Florida, LSU, Alabama, they outrush the opponent. And I think even more impressive is the fact that in all three of those games – Hooker threw multiple touchdowns in those games, and they still outrushed their opponent. So I, I just not buying this Kentucky as a contender. Tennessee absolutely should win this game and move on to Georgia as we see number one versus number two in the country. I think a common misconception about Tennessee's offense is what you just laid out that it's a pass happy air raid type system. It's not. They are very close to 50-50. Yeah, Hooker averages over in, in 300 fact, yards per game. Yeah, they run more than they pass. Right. They in stick, terms of play they distribution. They, they are a, a, it's a they very are rare combination. on the run and the ability to beat you deep with the pass. It, uh, that's, that's their offense. And Hooker's also been terrific about he's good on design runs when they call it for him, but he has excellent timing so far this season on one, two, Two and a half reads and go. go. And when he goes, it's a big play. So and a lot of times it's a third and eight and he's going to get 17 yards yeah. because he takes off at the right time and, and he's got the ability to pick up some big yardage. You know, the other thing too I should mention, Kentucky can also win this game if Hooker gets injured. Like let's, yeah. let's, let's just mention that too um, because I feel like nowadays you have to caveat everything with every possible scenario or you end up in old takes. Well, and on the flip side, here, you know, but Tennessee blows out Kentucky if Will Levis gets injured early sure. in this game based on what we sure. saw from Sharon, their backup against I, uh, South Carolina. It's just a very rare combination of pa- mass, big passing plays while all, almost simultaneously being an offense with a foundation on the run. And it's, it, that, that's the overlooked part of this where – Tennessee's going to run the football too, but they're going to score so fast. They're going to snap the ball so quickly that Kentucky's offense is right back out there, and Heupel's cool with that. Yeah, and I think Kentucky's chances offensively less in just pounding the rock against a good Tennessee run defense and more of Tennessee blitzes more than any other team in the SEC. They're going to get after Will Levis. They got after Jaden Daniels and a bad offensive line for LSU. I would compare this Kentucky offensive line to LSU's and Tennessee got to Daniels a lot in that game. They're going to try to do the same early and often against Kentucky. They need to develop a, a, a dink and dunk game. I mean, it's got to be quick, short passes, get rid of it quick, and utilize clock that way as opposed to just yeah. pounding it with Chris Rodriguez. Rodriguez is a great player, but from what I've seen from Tennessee's defense with their warts, I don't see Kentucky just lining up with their offensive line and handing it to him over and over for some huge day against their defense. Well, at some point, we mentioned this too about the, the Florida matchup for Kentucky. Will Levis is going to have to answer the bell because there's going to be, there will be a point in this game where Kentucky's going to have to answer with a score and uh, late in the game. And if they don't, they punt it back. That's, it, it's similar to Tennessee and Bama last year, not this year, last year, where it's early in the fourth, it's a one possession game. You go for it on fourth and two. You don't get it. Turnover on downs. Bam, you're down 14. And from there, you, you can't. It, 
chasing's not worth it because of how their offense is built. Wondell Robinson's not there, by the way. We should also throw that out there. Like the, the home run hitters are Barry and Brown. And you mentioned someone else earlier in the week that you wanted to pay attention yeah, D- to speed-wise. Yeah, Key. Their leading receiver is Tavion Robinson, who's a Virginia Tech transfer. Um, but th- those are two guys who have big playability. Barry on Brown's really good uh, returning kicks, too. So he- he's he an explosive playmaker. Uh, yeah, special teams. But yeah. here's, here's also Will Levis with a chance to prove a lot. But keep in mind, Tennessee against Anthony Richardson of Florida – and Bryce Young of Alabama gave up career days to those guys. They were terrific mm-hmm. in those games. They still won, right? They the they still won the game. So this is Will Levis's opportunity to have a big day against Tennessee. It may not matter. Tennessee's offense may just be that good. Will Levis could have a career day on Saturday night against Tennessee secondary, and they still may lose by ten, just based on the way Tennessee's offense is playing. And we've said several times this year, you know. Uh, not games as big as this one, but here's a chance for Will Levis to establish himself, to separate himself, to show he's what people have talked about and everything. How often is he, you know, he hasn't had those Well, think games. about this, Paul. If I told you going into the Alabama game that it wasn't going to be Milrow starting for Bryce Young, Bryce Young was going to play and be completely healthy and have maybe the best game of his career, and Tennessee was going to win, I would have thought I was crazy. For saying that, but that's what they've done. It's not like they've gotten bad performances out of quarterbacks. Daniels was pretty bad against LSU in a blowout, but against Richardson and Bryce Young, some of the bigger name NFL prospects on their schedule, they've given up big days to those guys, and it hadn't mattered. Tennessee still won. They've so got a formula. Here is Will Levis's chance to have a big day. If he doesn't, he's not going. And he's bad. Will Levis, look out. Well, he can. Yeah. Yeah. Look out, because yeah. that's where it could get ugly. He, he could be act. good. He's not going to be great. Um, well, he could be great. But I mean, again, he, was, like, he was really good a year ago statistically, yeah. but he also threw a pick six that turned the game around and gave Tennessee a two-score lead in the game. The, that, that's been his that's problem. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. I, I don't the think he'll is, be like uh, – I don't think he's carrying them to a win. The thing I like about Will Levis is his confidence because he does not lack it. No. You know, if you ask him about his game, he's going to tell you, like, like Chad was saying earlier, like I'm the next Josh Allen or whatever. But the he can have a big performance type game. But the 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 narrative I wanted to touch on though was run the ball, control the clock. Kentucky's got to score. Right? Like in conference games, they're averaging 21. That's not gonna win a game. Tennessee's not gonna lose 21 to 17. So uh, you gotta convince me that they're gonna put up what they did last year. And this Kentucky team, I haven't seen that. And this, this Tennessee defense is better. I just read a prediction, Tennessee 30, Kentucky 26. I mean, I'd be surprised if Tennessee only scores 30. I think those people Under are 40, thinking that maybe, you but just kneel the ball out and try to, you know, you get three and a half yards per carry and get a first down. I just don't – I don't think that's the way to beat Tennessee this year. What's We've the lowest seven game, point total we can envision for Tennessee? We're not early in the season, right? So – uh, they, I think they scored 38 in overtime. They got to overtime and scored 38 against Pitt. So we're not early in the season. We have seven games of representation for both teams. Tennessee was pretty bad in one of those games against Pitt, and they found a way to win in overtime against a Pitt team that does not look that good anymore, as good as they were at that, at that point in the season. It's just going to take a game like that. You would have to say Tennessee has been great for six other games. They'd have to play exactly like they did in the one bad performance 
and Kentucky would have a shot in a close game. What do you think I they think score? That, and Kentucky low. would have to be great. What's the low end of what Tennessee scores? I, I would think they score yeah, 40, but I would say 37. I mean, if Kentucky has a couple of eight-minute touchdown drives in the game, then 35, I think, would be a realistic mark for Tennessee at that point. Hit us up, and I'll kick 360 with your thoughts. We get you ready for the uh, sports evening coming up, and we'll look ahead to what's on deck for Thursday night football. Pretty good matchup, by the way. That's next on Outkick 360. Been a fun show. Big thanks to Mattress Mac, Mike Wall, for joining us, former Packers offensive lineman. So good stories there. If you missed portions of the show, you can find it anywhere. YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, just search at Outkick360, or just search us out wherever you download your podcast. We'll tell you about Thursday Night Football, but first, I'm looking over here at this Aaron Hernandez on your screen. Yeah, so almost was had on Twitter by a fake account, uh, a friend of the show, that uh, Trey, Trey, who has tweeted the show a lot, tweets me Trey and Waltz? says, I look forward to <laughs> Trey Wynn, actually. Okay. Oh, okay, uh, okay, okay. The very conventional T-R-E-S spelling of Trey. Thank you, Trey. Um, but he sends me this story, and he says, I look forward to Withrow breaking down every part of this show. And it's from an account, and I glance at it, and I thought the account was discussing film, at discussing film, but it's at discussing film. Tweeted this out, and all of Hollywood apparently has taken this as something that's not fake, and people are having to correct. This is the Richard West. Like, so here's the, here's the tweet. Following the success of Dahmer, Netflix is producing an Aaron Hernandez limited series with John Bernthal in the leading role. <laughs> so here's the and I like John Bernthal, the actor playing Very Aaron Hernandez. Similar, yeah, What's so he but from? I see it, it I'm like, well, like that's him. that's believable. What's he from? Right, uh, he's in uh, right now. He's in a show called American Gigolo on uh, on Showtime, the the remake of the Richard Gere movie from the early '80s. You love male prostitute TV. He, He's in, he's in, he's got a small part in Wolf of Wall Street. He's in, uh, what's the fighting movie he's in? Warrior? Is he a part of that too? Is one of the trainers maybe? Philomena. Yeah. Have you seen that one? Yeah. Philomena. I think you like that one. He's huh? also in Philomena. It's a great, <laughs> you like that one? great character piece that he was, uh, he was in that. He's a, he's a good actor. I, I enjoy his work. He's in the HBO series, We Own This City, that it's a follow up to The Wire. That was out this past. I've not seen it, but he's the star of that as a crooked cop. Sometimes you come in and you just rattle, machine gun me with these TV shows. It's just too much. Fury, too the, many. the tank movie. Yes, with uh, my guy Shia LaBeouf. Ravens and who's Bucks a, tomorrow a night. Nut. Finally, an interesting matchup to find. I mean, there's plenty of storylines here. Tons of them. The Bucks, Bucks coming so off the a loss. Bucks just need a win. Yeah, and the Ravens have struggled to close out games, but did this past week. They got a special teams touchdown against the Browns. It was a difference. And the Browns missed that field goal. That had was the final. no chance in hell of uh, reaching the goalposts, better yet getting through them. Uh, I mean, you know, it's, it's still relatively early. But uh, if the Bucs are going to show signs of life, it's, it's getting to be time. It's not early. We're, we're nearing the halfway point, and... Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix.
the offense has been so bad. Again, I, I go back to what I brought up earlier this week, Arians. That's got to be a storyline. And you've got 10 days after this game coming up. If they show up, uh, they're back home. Tampa is for Thursday night football. That That's the storyline tomorrow night for me. we got to go back what, what, what to the weirdness the, of turning it over to, to Todd Bowles and saying, I want to turn you over a good thing. Yeah. Well, he's he's. I don't know how good the thing he is that he turned over was, but he's not making it any better. I mean, Super Bowl team, playoff team, and now Todd Bowles. The Bucks look like the Jets. They're being challenged by the Falcons. From Todd Bowles. Falcons had seventy-eight million dollars of dead money. <laughs> not great. Oh, <laughs> uh, now they're. It, now that dead money is the Colts' problem. We're back at it tomorrow for Outkick 360. Hey, read that sign. Don't block the box. And be sure to lock your locks. See ya!